0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. We're continuing our series on common Christian problems, and today we're tackling the subject on how to help youth overcome drug addictions. This is a really tough number It's very widespread, and I'm predicting, actually, it's going to become even more widespread. The amount of stress on young people through the coronavirus situation is causing uh, many of them to turn to really negative habits, including drug use. And at the same time, we have a new administration in Washington, D.C., One of their agendas, I don't know if they'll pass it, I think they may get it, is to legalize marijuana. Uh, I have contacts in Colorado and uh, they have informed me what happens to Christian youth, even homeschooling youth, Christian youth, once the government legalizes marijuana. It's not a pleasant thing. And as I mentioned last time, I lived through the late 60s and 70s. I was a youth pastor in the 70s. And, you know, I know the experts have a big debate on whether or not marijuana is a gateway drug to other drugs. Now, certainly everybody who smokes marijuana doesn't become a hard drug addict, but certainly it is a gateway drug. It's just bizarre to think otherwise. So any case, we're gonna have troubles coming up our way. Now, what do you do as a parent, as a friend, as a pastor, as a deacon, as a youth worker to try to help a young person overcome a drug addiction? It might seem like a good idea to get that young person into a three- or four-week detox treatment, and um, while it might help on the initial process of the detox, it's not good for overcoming a drug habit. Uh, three or four weeks is simply inadequate. I'm holding in my hand, a book written by a man by the name of Steve Grant. And Steve Grant is a businessman right here in Greenville, South Carolina. And he wrote a book entitled, Don't Forget Me, a very brave book. And Steve Grant describes the drug use of his two sons, Chris and Kelly, which led to both of his sons dying by overdose. Wall Street Journal featured Steve Grant and his new book, Don't Forget Me. I'm just gonna read a little bit to you from page 100 of his book, Don't Forget Me. And this section of the book is talking about his second son, Kelly, dying of overdose. I don't know if you can imagine one son dying of an overdose. And now he's, despite all his best efforts, his second son, he says, I turned the corner to his room and I found Kelly curled up in a fetal position with a rubber band around his bicep and a needle in his arm. He had clearly fallen to the floor and had vomited All I did for the next 15 minutes was sit down on the floor next to Kelly and cry into my hands. Then, for the second time in my life, I called 911 to report the death of a son. Words cannot adequately convey how surreal it was to watch a second body bag being taken to the back of a truck knowing that my son's lifeless body was inside. And he mentioned his son had used heroin for only about nine months, and he was 24 years old when he died. And this was the death of Steve Grant's second son. Now, Steve Grant learned a lot, and he's trying to devote the rest of his life to helping other parents not to have to go through what he went through. And he describes that one of the rehab programs he put his son into cost $27,000 a month, and it was a three-month program. Now, last time, and again, I emphasize, I'm very big on prevention, very, very big on prevention. Uh, I've got a $10 CD. We can get it to into your mailbox for 10 bucks. It's two and a half hours of prevention instruction on marijuana. Marijuana is going to spread even more than it already has, and it will lead to other drug use in young people. Not everyone who smokes marijuana will, but there will be increases. And somebody says, Well, I don't want to bother spending two and a half hours. Steve Grant spent $27,000 on just one three month program, detox program, and guess what? It didn't work. And he put his first son, in an 18-month program. Guess what? That didn't work. His son, his first son, went through five rehab programs between the time he was 14 years old and 21 years old when he died of overdose. And this is a very common experience amongst parents trying to help their young people. It's rehab and relapse rehab and relapse, rehab and relapse. And that's why Steve Grant and other very wise parents on this as well as experts would recommend to seek an extended rehab program. Now, I wanted to give you an illustration in today's episode that I hope would just stick in your mind because very often when some type of tragedy, and if you find your child is using drugs, believe me, it is a tragedy, that you might tend to freeze and not have a good clear plan as far as what to do. So I'm gonna try to give you an illustration from my life that hopefully will give you a picture of what you want to do for an extended thorough rehab for a young person who's addicted to drugs. And I want to, the illustration I wanna use is my experience in fighting fires in the Navy. And, and you might say, well, this is really off topic, but no, this is the best way I can illustrate how parents can help their children overcome an addiction. First of all, just FYI, uh, fires in the Navy are different than fires in the Army, okay? You have a fire in your barrack in the Army or your office building, you go outside, call the fire department. Okay. Case settled. Well, when you're out at sea and maybe even perhaps very long distances, even from another ship or from shore, you have a fire. It's got to be put out because there's no outside to go to. It's just the ocean. And I was surprised. I was... Uh, uh, order to report to a new ship that was being built up in Bremerton, Washington. But before I reported for duty in that ship, I was on the East Coast, was flown to San Diego, along with every other crew member of that ship, to attend a firefighting school. And I thought, boy, this is a lot of money, Um you know, to fly everybody out to Southern California to go through a firefighting school before we went to our ship. And there's a saying, they say, every sailor, every Navy sailor is a fireman first. And the Navy is so concerned about being able to fight fires that they want everyone before they step on a ship to know how to fight a fire. And now how would this apply to parents? well, it's just what I said a minute ago, is being prepared. I'm saying marijuana legalization is coming to a state near you or maybe even from the United States government. That will be a green light to young people. Um, You know, I'm speaking as a former youth pastor, okay, in the 70s. And when I learned hospital visitation, you know, the the majority of my hospital visitation – wasn't to you know cuts and scrapes and broken bones and stuff. Uh, it was the psych wards, as a result of uh, behavioral problems combined with drug problems. And we're coming up again on a major problem. And you might say, well, we're dedicated Catholics and we homeschool. We're not going to have this problem, or you know, we live in a good neighborhood and you know our kids go to CCD and we go to church every week. Well, you should go to church every week, but that doesn't mean this isn't going to hit you. So you you are prepared. You hope you never have to use your training for firefighting in the Navy, and you hope you never have to use your preparation, but you need to be prepared as a parent. All right, so here we were after our fire school. I go to our new ship, and I forgot exactly where we were but you have drills, by the way, all the time. You practice just to keep this fresh in your mind. And, you know, you hear, you hear the call, fire, fire. And then this is a drill. This is a drill. So, you know, it's a drill. You go about your business to get ready to fight a fire. But one day, I remember I was working in an office. And I heard the fire, fire. And then it's followed by, uh, a way the Navy has of a very specific location in the ship where the fire is so that a whole ship knows where the problem is. And I realized it was very near the office where I was working. So I did what I was uh, taught to do, ran out of the office, grabbed a fire extinguisher, and went to the fire. And when I got there, this is what happened. My shipmates, who had heard fire, fire, ran to the fire and were just simply standing there staring at it. That's it. Now, don't get me wrong. This is what parents do when they find out their kids are on drugs, they're in shock. And it doesn't do any good to sit there and stare at a burning fire, nor does it do any good to sit there and stare at your children whether they start using drugs. It's a serious matter. And so I yelled at my shipmates, go get an extinguisher. And a couple of them took off. Now, you might say, well, um, why didn't I just start putting the fire out? I had an extinguisher in my hands. Believe me, it took a huge amount of self-control not to try to put out that fire. You might think, "What, what are you talking about? Well, it's this. The thing I learned in San Diego Fire School is that you don't try to put out a fire on a Navy ship with a single extinguisher because the single extinguisher will do a very good job. In fact, it will get about 95% of the fire out. And you might think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, if you get 95% of a fire out, a lot of times that 5% is just enough for that fire to come roaring back. And then you finally get your second fire extinguisher arrive and that does a good job that will get 95% of that fire out and then it keeps coming back this is the story of rehab and relapse rehab and relapse rehab and relapse and that's why i i didn't light off that extinguisher. As soon as I saw a buddy come around the corner with an extinguisher in his hand, I started because I knew I'd have the second extinguisher. Not only put the 95% out, but to quell the fire. They gave me a commendation for doing that, and I think I would have preferred a little extra leave time, but whatever. It was an experience I don't forget. And maybe that experience that I'm conveying to you, if you have a mental picture of this, you don't want a three or four week rehab, or maybe even a one or two month rehab. uh, Rehab from drug addiction takes a generous amount of time to heal. And it's very subtle that you can be sucked into thinking it's under control. But as soon as the young person is back in the old environment with the old friends, the addiction comes roaring back. And then Back to rehab again as you drain your retirement accounts for paying for multiple rehabs. Uh, Boy, this was brought home to me in a very vivid way. Again, while I was a a youth pastor in this town, we had a great evangelical outreach, including our local and state prisons. And there was a a young man in our local prison who I had been meeting with. Uh, I gave him a Bible, we prayed together, told him about Christ. Uh, He prayed with me to repent of his sins and uh, asked Christ to be his Lord and Savior and such like this. And so when he got out of jail, he had nowhere to go, he had no money, so I let him move in with me temporarily and I allowed him to have my bike because he said he wanted to go get a job. Well, it wasn't but 24 hours, he sold my bike for money, for drugs and booze, and uh, called me drunk and repentant, so, okay, well, I took him back in, and then he, I don't know if, I can't remember now if it was drugs or booze, but uh, this time he got arrested, which was actually a pretty good thing, because, you see, um, even the short time in jail when I tried to disciple this young man and such, it was just almost instant relapse as soon as he got back in a uh, new environment. What I did is that I called an organization by the name of Teen Challenge, and they had one in Florida. That's where I was living at the time. And I went to court with this young man, and uh, the judge was very welcoming to uh, me and my efforts on behalf of this young man. And, and I had uh, arranged for him to be admitted to a teen challenge a couple hours away from where we were living in Florida. And the judge gave him, you know, one opportunity or it's, you know, your probation is revoked. Um I also, I drove him to the Teen Challenge uh, rehab place and I made it very clear. <laughs> I kind of learned my lesson. I said, no phone calls, repenting over the phone for drugs or abuse or whatever. I said, this is your chance. This is your chance. And if you blow it, um, it's, it's on you. Now, the reason I picked Teen Challenge, I knew it was an effective organization, in fact, way back when George Bush was governor of Texas, some government bureaucrats tried to shut down Teen Challenge. I don't know if it was because the state was giving a little money uh, to Teen Challenge or something like that. And George Bush, Governor George Bush, went to bat for them. (laughs) You got to be crazy. This is the most effective organization in the United States of America to help young people get off of drugs, and you want to shut them down? No way, and good for him. He really got my admiration for doing that. Teen Challenge is the world's largest drug and alcohol treatment program. They have helped about 50,000 men and young men overcome addiction, and they serve both adults and teens in and they also have, I'll explain in a moment, a program for younger teens. And as a parent, you need to realize that it can be very difficult finding a good program for younger teens that has a Christian emphasis. Now, Teen Challenge, and I don't know if you've gotten used to faith and family radio yet, but I look for things, not in utilitarian sense, but that actually work. I'm not trying to sell a book or a CD or a seminar or anything else. I am simply looking for something that can truly impact lives, and I don't like false promises. In fact, I have a new book that will be coming out this year in, in the uh, forward to that book or the preface. I said, you know, a lot of parenting books over-promise things, okay? But Teen Challenge delivers A 70% success rate for those who complete their program. 70%. Now, it's kind of hard to find statistics on the other side, what I call the therapeutic uh, rehab programs, that uh, particularly on the secular level, they claim about a 30% success rate uh, for those who complete their program. So, Teen Challenge has more than double the success rate of the therapeutic or secular programs, okay? So what do they do different that maybe some of these others don't? You may not like everything they do, but here's what they do. First of all, they have a strong Christ-centered focus. Christ is right in the center of the Teen Challenge drug and alcohol rehab. They have daily chapel, they have Bible instruction, they have prayer. If you remember, if you haven't listened to my last episode, 324 of Faith and Family, I spoke of St. Augustine's description of his restless heart when he was living an immoral lifestyle. He was trying to fill his heart with something other than God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And so I mentioned both as a way of prevention to have And I'm not talking about just sitting in a classroom getting religious facts, but I'm talking about having a real live faith encounter with Jesus Christ, a union with Christ as a way of prevention of trying to put things in our minds and hearts like drugs and alcohol to fill up that empty space. It's the same for a cure, and that's what Teen Challenge is doing They try to bring the people coming through their program a faith union with Jesus Christ. Now, let me just throw this out, and again, I have a new book that will be devoting a whole chapter to this, but usually the type of relationship with Christ I'm talking about, this personal encounter, this strong union with Christ, generally comes to a young person outside the classroom. So if everything you're depending upon for a parent to have this both prevention and cure for uh, drugs is somehow a spiritual formation that's solely in a classroom, I personally doubt that it's occurring. Now, it can occur in a classroom plus. In other words, uh, a group that meets regularly for instruction, but has some other thing outside of the classroom, a retreat, a camp, a mountain hike, maybe even a fishing trip together or something where you're unified um, together in a real-life experience so you can have a real-life encounter with Jesus Christ, okay? Now, this is kind of the controversial part, but Teen Challenge does not adhere to the drug and alcohol disease model, uh, that it's a medical problem, Uh, it's, it's of addiction. And basically in Teen Challenge, you accept responsibility for your actions. You can't say, it's not my fault, you take responsibility. Now, I did mention alcohol, there seems to be a genetic component. And let's just say there is. But how that genetic tendency is expressed uh, can vary quite a bit. For instance, uh, I think I have a genetic uh, predisposition from my family background for heart disease. So uh, I'm the longest living male member of my family in three generations. And I think it can be due to the fact that I take great care for how that Genetic weakness may be expressed. In other words, I'm taking responsibility for my health. And, you know, it doesn't mean it's perfect, but it's what I do. I take responsibility. Now, I went to Amazon because I heard of this book written by two Christian psychologists entitled It's Not My Fault, subtitled The No Excuses Plan for Overcoming the Effects of People, Circumstances, or DNA, and Enjoying God's Best. Well, let me tell you something. There's a host of books on Amazon.com entitled, It's Not Your Fault. It's Not Your Fault. It's Not My Fault. And here's what this book entitled, It's Not My Fault, by Dr. Cloud and Townsend say it's often a dangerous trap because people don't recognize what the blaming mindset does to them, not to the people they blame, but to them. It only keeps them from overcoming the effects of all that they can't control, like other people, circumstances and genetics, but separates them from a solution. And when they give away the ownership of their life, they end up losing the one opportunity they have to fulfill their dreams and enjoy God's best. Taking personal responsibility is not only liberating, it is the best and perhaps the only way for a person to get what they really want out of life. And this is a minority view Doctors Henry Cloud and John Townsend entitled, It's Not My Fault, but it's the view taken by Teen Challenge. And I know a lot of psychological counseling is finding reasons and occasions to blame somebody else. Well, that's not the case. Real quick, Teen Challenge has a program for 14 to 17 and a half year old boys. The first part Our first phase is a 90-day addiction treatment for drugs, alcohol, gambling, porn, or gaming. And then it's followed by a second phase. It's a full 12 months of a behavioral program. And then a third phase, after they're out of a physical uh, location, they go home and they have an aftercare counseling for both the young men and their parents for six to nine months. Um, It's been recommended by President George Bush, President Ronald Reagan, Charles Coulson. Now, the only downside is that Teen Challenge may be very challenging to your son's Catholic faith. They're very strong fundamentalist and evangelical Protestants. Let me just tell you real quick, while I was a youth pastor, we had absolutely no money And we recognized that we were reaching young people in town that needed a new environment where they could grow as disciples of Christ and basically need something similar to Teen Challenge. So we started Covenant House, ended up a businessman, gave us a house that he was going to turn into a commercial building in five years or so. He gave it to us rent-free. People in the congregation gave us the paint. My youth group had painted it. And we had a covenant house, very similar to Teen Challenge. And all this is to say is this broadcast is putting an idea out there for Catholics. Um, Catholics can do this. Uh, There's a need for this, and I'm broadcasting right now. I'm telling you the fine job that Teen Challenge does, and now we need Catholics to step up to the plate. Um, We can offer this, and my guess is we can have Catholic components very similar to Teen Challenge all around the United States, and we're going to need them. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 325 of Faith and Family Radio.